particularly in our social media age, you kind of never see the like in between. You see someone who's like, oh, I do a nine to five that I'm not really interested in. And next thing they're running a seven figure business. And you're like, okay, that was a very smooth transition for you, Um, (laughs) which definitely is not how it works. You know, even when I come on platforms like this, people are kind of only interviewing you because something has worked, but they haven't necessarily seen the like 300 no's that it's taken to like get to this point and keep going. Our guest today is Ruth Himika Afolabi, founder and CEO of Magnify. Magnify encompasses a podcast, events, a print magazine and engages with over 30,000 women a week. Listening to other people's opinions is different from seeking wisdom and wise counsel, which I think is important. And especially with social media, there's so much of a thing of like, I don't want to, I want to be my own boss. Yes, when you're your own boss, you're also doing 45 other roles at the same time. So, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. You have dropped. This is, guys, this is a business masterclass. Welcome to Daring Forward, where we feature ordinary women doing extraordinary things and learn practical lessons and action steps to help you live courageously. I'm your host, Sahar Twesajay. Now, if you're ready, let's dare forward. Can faith and culture coexist? Being a woman of faith myself, and from my own personal experience, especially being a Christian, faith can often be seen as a taboo subject in this day and age. Today's guest, however, has set out to change the narrative on faith once and for all. We talk about being ambitious as a woman of faith, how to have longevity as an entrepreneur, and managing your emotions and building resilience. Our guest today is Ruth Yimika Afolabi, founder and CEO of Magnify, a women's media brand which sits at the intersection of faith and culture and was started in 2009. Magnify encompasses a podcast, events, a print magazine, and engages with over 30,000 women a week. Prior to going full-time at Magnify, Ruth previously worked with L'Oreal and Burberry. Ruth has also been featured in the Huffington Post, the BBC, Channel 4, Marie Claire and the Mail on Sunday due to a recognition of her work as an influential woman redefining faith for her generation. Before we jump back into today's episode, I have a quick announcement for you. If you want to automate getting traffic, building your email list and making sales, then I've got just the thing for you. I've got a brand new workshop for you guys called Pinterest Traffic on Tap, where you'll learn the seven strategies every creative entrepreneur should know. It makes it easy for you to save hours of your time by creating a streamlined content creation workflow so you can automate getting traffic, building your list, and making sales with Pinterest. Now, I get it. If you've been hustling endlessly and wasting time on creating content that doesn't engage or convert into sales, then this is exactly why I created this workshop for you. Now, here's exactly what you get when you sign up for this workshop. You'll learn the three rules of making content that sells on Pinterest, creating viral idea pins decoded, the number one secret to designing pins that convert, the Pinterest keywords insider's guide, Pinterest profile mistakes and how to avoid them, the proven Pinterest workflow system where we use AI and automation to streamline everything. And finally, you'll learn Pinterest analytics explained for creative entrepreneurs. Now, the total value of this workshop is £99, but the price for today is only £7. So at this point, you might be thinking there has to be a catch, right? But I promise you there's no catch. I am simply doing this because I want to help as many creative entrepreneurs get started with Pinterest marketing and avoid burnout. All you need to do is register and you can get started right away. Now, this workshop offer can't last forever, so I want to encourage you not to wait. And if for any reason you don't love it, I'll refund your money and you could still keep access to the workshop and get value from it in the future. 
So why wait? Start learning how to automate getting traffic and building your email list and making sales with Pinterest. Simply click the link in the show notes to get instant access. So let's start with the very, very beginning when you started Magnify. You were at university. Yeah, <laughs> a baby, basically. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Tell us, how did the idea come to you? Why did you start at uni? And like, why Magnify? Like, just tell us what your journey was like. Yeah, so um, I guess to go a bit back before then. Um, so I grew up in an amazing um, household of faith. My parents are very committed Christians. Um, so I think growing up, I was always kind of around Christianity, enjoyed like going to church and youth group. Um, so and kind of had yeah a really lovely childhood. But between when I was 15 and 17, um, so between 2005 and 2007, I sadly lost three people in my family. Um, and I think that mm. just completely obviously shook my world, my family's world, but in particular, it shook my view of faith um, and really rocked my personal faith. So I lost a family member two weeks before I started at uni. So I went to university and was definitely like, faith is not for me at all. I'm not interested in God. I don't want to hear anything about it. Oh, wow. And I think that yeah. first term was a hard term, but also a term where I guess a lot of people, maybe when you go to university or you move to a different town, you can kind of reinvent yourself. So for me, I was like, no one even knew that I had been a Christian or that faith was at all part of my life. Um, so it was just kind of doing the usual like student things. Um, and then when I got back in the Christmas holidays, the first term, I felt like a light just switched on in my head and that a true faith couldn't be dependent on whether things always went well, because that just wasn't the reality of life. Um, and very instantly, because I always say I'm very much an all or nothing person, I was like, mm. I'd love my girlfriends to have the opportunity to explore faith in a more engaging, relevant and creative way. And particularly in like a non-judgmental space. So obviously, I didn't know at the time it was going to be called Magnify. Um, but I remember saying to a group of girlfriends who did have a faith, like, I'd love us to do this event. And they were like, yeah, I'd love to get involved. So within three weeks, an event was put together for 100 women. And at that time, Magnify didn't have a name. I think we called the event like the Footprints Evening or something. Mm. Um, and I think just like seeing the reaction from women at that first event, I was like, OK, there's definitely something in this. Um, and then that progressed on to a conference in London that year. So by then I did have the name Magnify. Um, so I think over the last 13 years, as much as the vision has the output probably has evolved. The vision has always stayed the same, which is ultimately to change the narrative of the Christian faith through media and creativity. Um, so yeah, that's a bit of the journey as to why I started it. And I definitely feel if I didn't have like a personal conviction, there's no way I would have put myself voluntarily wow. in a position of leadership. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been a really exciting journey. That's amazing. So can you maybe let's clarify off the bat what is the scope of what Magnify does? Because as you know, a lot of people know you for the magazine, but it's so much more than that. Yeah, so definitely events is a big part of what we do because that was obviously like how we started and that idea of bringing women into safe and vulnerable spaces where we can share and discuss things that are going on in our lives, mm. questions that we have about faith. Um, then obviously there's the digital digital side, which again came before the magazine. So whether that's the blog or the podcast or a few other things coming up this year. Mm. Um, and then obviously there's the print magazine as well. So yeah, definitely we are fully, invested in using media in a variety of ways to communicate the message but also using real life events to create that sense of community with women mm -hmm. love that 
By the way, if you want to learn how to redefine your target audience, Ruth has kindly shared her six-step framework for finding your target audience to inform your digital strategy. To access the private training, simply click the link below if you're watching on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. So let's take it back to your uni days at the very inception of Magnify. What were some of the things that you struggled with? Because you were very young at 19 19 (laughs) years old, like you're just stepping into adulthood um, and you find yourself leading something like this, like Magnify. What were some of the things that you struggled with at the time? I think if I'm honest, actually, I feel a lot of the challenges came a bit later Mm. because I think when I was 19, I didn't have any kind of concept that it was going to be like an organisation. I just thought, okay, I'm at university. I've got spare time. This is something that I feel passionate about. And I feel in this season, I'm kind of called to do this. Um, So I think in the early years, it was actually a lot easier because also I didn't have a boyfriend, now husband. I didn't have a daughter. So I also just had like a lot of free time. Mm. Um, And I wasn't like paying a mortgage or anything. So there was no like, oh, maybe there's another (laughs) use of my time here. Um, But I think as I got, so when I graduated, it was then like, okay, how do I balance this with a full-time job? That was definitely a challenge. Um, And then also like, probably to be fair, one of the earliest challenges was when I would share the idea with people, they'd be like, sorry, how old are you? Like what experience do you have? Like what kind of, have you been to like, um, theological college or and I was like no I haven't because I'm still at, at university yeah. um, or same way in media people often didn't really understand how I was mixing like the faith and the creativity and the fashion as well um, mm. so I think something a lot of founders or women in leadership often find is being misunderstood that can be very difficult because it sometimes makes you second guess yourself or second guess what you're doing um, so yeah those are kind of even though I said no initially, those were probably some of the challenges in the beginning days. Mm. That is so interesting talking about that, you know, you doing something that hasn't been done before and it kind of sticking when it comes to say, I imagine reaching out to media or individuals because you're meeting with lots of people. Um, How did you get that buy-in eventually? I think for me, I would just say it was perseverance. So I always Mm. say as a founder, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're leading a nonprofit or whatever, you have to be so resilient because obviously, you know, even when I come on platforms like this and I'm into being interviewed, people are kind of only interviewing you because something has worked, but they haven't necessarily seen the like 300 no's that it's taken to like get to this yes. point and keep going. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, the biggest thing, how I got kind of buying, whether it's from team or other people was just to keep going and then I think also people could see that even when I spoke about the vision I was incredibly passionate because it was it kind of came through a lived experience it wasn't like I was talking about something random that had no relation to my life or I hadn't experienced that so I think I always say to founders like it's so important to share your personal story and your story is like why you are doing what you do because I'm sure if I got here and just said oh I'm doing a platform for women it's like Yes, like six million other people yes. around the world. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think when you share your personal story, it makes people feel like this person, this founder is incredibly invested into what they're doing. And this sounds like an exciting journey that I want to be part of. Mm, so good. So, so good. And I feel like you sharing that really helps because sometimes 
your differentiating factor, especially when you're getting into a space that is saturated, is your story and who you are. Like no one can have Ruth's story. No one can have my story. So I love that you're sharing that. What if someone is uh, who's listening or watching might be sensing that resistance? So Because it takes incredible courage for you to kind of say, this is my personal story. And you're sharing it with so many people that don't know. If someone's in that position, what would you say to them? I think for me, and I say whether it's a media organization, whether it's a shoe business, whether it's a mm. beauty business, think of the people on the other side of your idea working. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, working within the context of Magfi is slightly different because we always say it's about the impact in women's lives. But I always think when I feel shy or when I feel nervous or if I'm worried that people will judge me, I just think like what's on the other side of Magfi really working is women's lives being impacted and transformed. Um, so I think if you're facing resistance, which you're going to do, it's, you know, I wish <laughs> that were not the case, yeah. but that's literally like an absolute given when being a founder or doing anything that's different. Mm -hmm. It's just remembering the impact of like you moving forward and your idea working. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. You started Magnify, uh, you know, you said at the beginning that it wasn't a very, you know, it was just something that came as a passion, but now it's an established, like, organization. So can you tell us what that looked like and, you know, how did it become more official and how did you grow it? Because I think what's interesting about your situation is that you're, you're not just doing one thing, like you have your hands in lots of different pots. So it would be good to kind of hear what that process was like for you. Yeah, so I think with Magfight, the thing I always say is we've built it when we've seen a need. So, mm. or rather, we've expanded as we've seen a need. So obviously, I think starting at 19, if I was like, oh, we're just going to do like 15 different types of media, probably I would have got myself too frazzled to actually continue. Yeah. But I think with the events, it was like, you know, at university, you were in a small campus, Facebook had only just started. So digital media was all like social media wasn't so much of a big thing. Yeah. So for us, it was like, okay, there's, and I, it's funny because people always say, in the beginning, you always say us and we, like who, who was actually there. Like, I think also so when, you're true. <laughs> when you're like talking to yeah. people, if it's just like me, myself and I, so I would just always be like, we, like just, you know, feeling the confidence. People are like, okay, well, yes. I don't hear anybody else talking with her, but you know, she's talking about we, so we'll, we'll just carry on. <laughs> um, so I think in the beginning, it was definitely like, we did events. Mm. And then after doing the first conference, a lot of women who came, obviously events are great, but they are often very expensive and they're one-off. And also because it was in London, mm. it was open to women from all around the country. So imagine someone comes from Manchester, mm. they've had a great experience at the event. Maybe they've explored faith for the first time. And then you're just like, you know, I wish you all the best, like, you know, go back to your life. Mm. So that's where digital content then came in because it's like, okay, we can't do events every day, but how can we connect with women in a way where we can encourage them, we can inspire them throughout the yeah. year. Um, and yeah, being a student and like having access to Facebook, it's like, I would just write a blog post, put it online, then share it on Facebook, which was like free and easy. Yeah. Um, and then same way with the magazine, that kind of 
came about in a way by mistake. Um, so after the con- the main conference, we found that so many women had so many questions. And so we were just putting together like a pamphlet, which was supposed to be like eight pages, but then there was like too much information for the eight pages and then 16 pages. And before we knew it, the first kind of trial edition of the magazine was 80 pages. Wow, okay. And then I guess seeing the response of women who were able to like physically take something into their home, because obviously I love digital content, yeah. but often you're consuming digital content when you've also got like 15 other tabs open so particularly if something is like deep and meaningful you're not always able to like 100% focus on that thing and that's where the idea of like a magazine was so so powerful um and then again with the podcast it was like we love the conversations through events but clearly we couldn't do events every day and a magazine as much as it's great to tell someone's story it's not really a conversation because you're just like reading the magazine and us as the interviewer we're not kind of inserting our life and our experiences Mm. into the conversation um so I think with everything it's never been kind of Obviously, as we've we're thirteen years in, there is more strategy in, involved. But I think it's always been at the root cause. This is our core vision. This is how these are the different types of media available to us, and this is the need that we're trying to fill and the value that we're trying to provide to our audience. I think, yes, that's kind of how it's evolved into so many different things over the last thirteen years. That's incredible. Now, something that you said there. I said events are very expensive. I was literally speaking to another podcast guest uh, the other day who and we, who was also mentioning this thing of in-person events are super expensive. So I'm curious to know from you, and I guess we're getting into a little bit of strategy, but when it comes to the business model, right, of having events also into publishing, now you've got your magazine, how does that work in terms of like the numbers working and also... Like, what are some of the lessons that you've learned now, 13 years in? So I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is you have to be agile and you have to also be realistic. Mm. So with the magazine, probably when we started, I would have said, I'd love us to do a magazine like four times a year. And then you realize, okay, the printer is not going to donate their time or or their Mm. services. So that's probably not going to work. Um, But I think the biggest thing I would say is depending on what your model is, so whether you're a business or whether you're a nonprofit or a charity, Either way, you still need to run a sustainable offering. So I think for me, a lot of times we start with like our big picture idea of like, we'd love to do 20 events. And then you speak to event halls and they're like, oh, it's £2,000 higher. So you're like, okay, we're probably not going to be doing events (laughs) every other week. Um, So I think the biggest advice, because I get asked this a lot by founders, is what products can you actually scale that your audience would find valuable? Mm. And that's definitely something we've had to learn over the last few years. And we've made many mistakes and many hard lessons. Um, And I think sometimes it's also about taking, being less emotional about the decision you're making and be more realistic and look at the numbers. So So same with the magazine, I absolutely love print, but I completely recognise that print is evolving and print Mm. is changing. And also, if I think about when we first started, the magazine used to be like five or six Mm -hmm. pounds. 
Now, anyone who sees our magazine, it's not some kind of glossy piece of rubbish. It's essentially like a mini coffee table book. Um, mm. And what we found was like, you know, we wanted to produce it at this high standard. And I also, because we were so new to it, didn't realise that when we're stocked in WH Smith or Selfridges, they take 50% of your cover price. So if it's costing you £5 to make and you're only if actually getting £3 back, clearly that doesn't make mm. sense. Um, so obviously now the magazine is £12 pounds but even now we're seeing like since brexit the cost of postage the cost of packaging like all of that has gone up so before we used to offer free postage to the uk um so i think the biggest thing i say for founders when it comes to kind of making the numbers work is just thinking what can you produce that's actually of value to people because i think when you're truly producing something that's valuable to people the price that you put on it is less important so i'll give an example Mm. i have a pilates um app that i'm signed up to so it's kind of mainly pre-recorded like Pilates workouts but in January and September there's like a weekly there's like a month challenge where you can sign in and kind of do live classes that's 45 pounds a month which is actually more expensive than like most gyms and it's like yes I could watch that um you know you can type into YouTube and watch Pilates for free but why is it that I'm spending 45 pounds it's partly the branding it's the sense of community even though you're not meeting people recently they started to do like one-off events where the kind of Pilates community can meet in person so as much as technically the app is probably more expensive than the actual product is worth in comparison to its competitors because I find it a value I'm willing to part with my money whereas if it's something that is kind of a nice to have but I don't really think is it's not really valuable to me as a consumer then clearly I'm not going to pay that much for it Mm. um yeah I don't know if that answers your question but I think that's the biggest thing I've learned and definitely made loads of mistakes on is as the founder not just being like this is what I want to sell but then you find yourself being like okay the numbers don't add up like why is this not making sense but also thinking about whether yeah, kind of what value your target audience provide. And in saying that, I know you didn't ask me this question, but it's something that I've really learned. We've definitely been on a journey to really define our target audience. And why that's been a journey is in the beginning, I would always say, I just want to reach millennial Mm. women. As we both know, that is a very large, (laughs) large market. And in part, it's just because I was so passionate about the vision that I'm just like, everyone needs to know. But when you think about it in those terms, it means that like, our messaging, our pricing, it's very hard if we don't like define that audience in a much kind of more streamlined yeah. way. Um, and I think when you do define your audience as a founder, it's then easier to work out what's of value to them that they would actually part significant mm. money with. Oh my goodness, you have dropped. This is, guys, this is a business masterclass. Like, thank you so much, Ruth. So many nuggets in there that you've dropped. I think I can really relate to the point you mentioned about being less emotional as a founder and just looking at the numbers. And I think I can definitely also testify to a point in business where it's like, and you start to see the shift. The second you start, you stop thinking about what you want to put out and actually put the focus on the people that you're serving, the money just starts to come because you're adding value to people versus working the other way around. So thank you so much for sharing that. And another thing I would say, because it's a lesson that I learned Mm. the hard way, was that 
again, whether you're doing a non-profit or a business, there is a huge amount of sacrifice involved in starting a project or starting a business or a charity or whatever. Mm. And I think in the, particularly in our social media age, you kind of never see the like in between. You see someone who's like, oh, I do a nine to five that I'm not really interested in. And next thing they're running a seven figure business. And you're like, okay, that was a very smooth transition for you. Um, <laughs> which definitely is not how it works. My thing was yes. obviously... I worked for L'Oreal, then for Burberry, then did a tiny bit of freelancing. And then was like, oh, I'm diving straight into Magpie full time. You cannot dive. Well, you can dive straight into something that's not making money, but you probably will have absolutely nothing. Um, and I think for me, yeah. God is funny because I was 23 at 24 at that time when I literally was just like going around with the magazine. Everyone's like do you have a job? And I'm like, no, I'm just really committed to this. And they're like, okay, well, that's not what I would do, but wish, wish you all the best. The oh, biggest wow. thing I always say to founders is as much as you can, because mm. founders will also often say to me, like, it's a lot of pressure trying to do a full-time career and also start a, start a brand or a business, which it is. But it's also very taxing mentally when you don't have the capacity to focus whatever hours you are on building your projects because you're worrying about providing financially for your basic needs. Um, and obviously mm -hmm. I was lucky because my parents live in London and that was where Magpie was built from and where a lot of meetings were happening. But in hindsight, yeah. the biggest thing I can say is I would offer is stay in a nine to five as long as you possibly can till your project is actually able to at least cover your bills. Then that's not your like shopping or whatever, just like your actual bills. Mm. Um, and in a way, see that your nine to five gives you the opportunity to fund your vision. Um, because very rarely are you ever just going to meet an investor or a donor who sees that you have no skin in the game. You haven't sat, you know, you don't want to leave the comfort of your job, but then you're asking them to invest into your vision. That's really not how, well, I've heard very, very few stories of that ever happening. Um, hmm. And also, wow. even if you don't yeah. take investment or donations, very rarely do you just like launch a product on Monday and by Friday you're selling thousands of units. Um, so, yeah, the biggest advice I can offer for founders when it comes to like financially getting your vision off the ground is where possible stay in a full time job. And also remember that a full time job offers you the opportunity to be sharpened and to be developed on somebody else's. Somebody else is basically paying you to sharpen up for your often your future vision now that doesn't mean you know I always believe in so being good. as diligent as you can and serving and honoring that job properly so don't use their time to do your project but if I think a lot of my think about a lot of my school friends they all went to work in Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan at Google top companies so if I think yeah. about the kind of essentially DIY university I had to take myself through of becoming a founder. While I don't regret the journey and I know that, you know, everything happens for a reason. If I think like for 10 years, if I'd been at a Google or been at a JP, not only would you have had the financial capital from day one, if you then want to leave, but also you'll be mm. sharpened in like a very strong environment. Now, obviously it doesn't even need to be the necessary best companies in the world but any company is going to teach you things that will be helpful in the future for what you're building rather than I think especially with social media there's so much of a thing of like I don't want to I want to be my own boss it's like yes when you're your own boss you're also doing 45 other roles at the same time so yes you know, pick your poison yes. off what I say so good what would you say then 
now that as a founder and you've been 13 years in, you're now also a mother, you know, what does that blend look like for you, the work and motherhood? So I love being a mom and I love running Magnify. Mm. I think I was always worried that when I had a daughter that maybe I wouldn't be ambitious anymore. I wouldn't be driven. If anything, my daughter has made me like 15 times more ambitious than I ever was. Um, I think mm. I also feel that from the beginning, I was very honest with myself that my journey in motherhood would look very different. So obviously a lot of my friends, they work for other companies so you know they had like six months paid full paid maternity leave or even some that sometimes yeah. they took up to a year I knew it wasn't even about whether I was paid or not paid is that magnify I'm the founder I'm not just going to like disappear for a year and then come back um yeah. so the team always joke when they're like oh what was Ruth's maternity leave they're like that didn't ever happen but I think for me I was like I love my work and I knew that yes there would be a shift for me being involved in like the day-to-day -day operations but I was still kind of probably even when I was in the hospital having my daughter still like checking emails and for me what was important was to not kind of be overburdening myself with listening to other people's opinions listening to other people's opinions is different from seeking wisdom and wise counsel which I think is important but I knew yeah. that people saying oh just take it easy for two months it's like if you're an employee yes you can when you're a founder it's a very different case so I think I was very realistic from the beginning that it would mean a juggle um I also feel very grateful that we have a nanny who is phenomenal and just like seeing her with my daughter just enables me to be able to focus like 100 percent so on good. the task at hand but definitely yeah. I think that there are days when you juggle so like today I don't have my nanny with me so before here as I was saying to you before like rushing to like sort my daughter and obviously before <laughs> I was a parent I was like she's not going to have any screen time God bless the founders of Coco Melon and Gracie's Corner. That's all I can say. So Tell that <laughs> truth. Oh, my goodness. God bless Coco Melon. Um, but I think I've also <laughs> learned, in a way, I feel like Magnify really prepared me to be a mom because I feel like I've learned to be so resourceful, do offer many things at once. But then my daughter has also made me a lot more intentional. So before, I would probably just say yes to like any podcast that I was asked to do, any event that I was asked to speak at. Whereas now you realise not only is that taking precious time away from me, from my daughter, particularly say like yes. on Saturdays when I'd be happy to like do an event. Now it's like I really value that like quality time we has a, have as a family of three. So if I'm going yeah. to say yes for speaking engagement, it really has to like make sense for my life and for the vision of Magnify to actually be a priority as opposed to just a nice to have. So in many ways, she's kind of streamlined the focus of like what I can say yes to, which probably in a way I needed because I, again, I think as a founder, you're often just yeah. trying to get your story out. So whenever anyone mm. invites you, you know, even if it's like there's two people there, you're like, yeah, I'll do it. Just, just so yes. I can share. Um, whereas <laughs> I think getting yeah. married, but also having my daughter, I've just had to be a lot more focused focused on like what I can say yes to and I think sometimes as women naturally we want to be of service to everybody um mm. but I realize that when you do that it's just really you need to like count the cost for you and your family and make sure that that makes sense yeah yeah what would you say was the hardest thing in work or general or whatever Okay, I will actually think of one example. I wouldn't say it was the hardest moment of my life, but definitely a mm. difficult period. So yeah. 
last year we'd kind of reached a point with like a fight where we were like the audience is too broad so we feel like a lot of the things we're putting out they're not really sticking with anyone in particular but Mm. obviously when you make a shift as an organization you know that you're maybe going to lose some people who've been part of the journey but you kind of need to do that in order to like grow and exponentially scale Um, And I think what was hard was like behind the scenes as a team, we were doing so much work, like so much strategy work, so much like preparation. But there was also people often asking, I know it came from a good place, like, oh, does Magify still exist? Or like, have you decided to stop doing it? And it was like, if only I could tell you that we're literally working like 24-7 behind the scenes. Um, So I think Mm. often when you're a founder, the work you do is very visible. So when it feels like that's not happening, that can be really hard. But I remember a mentor saying to me, it's better to go two steps back in order to go five steps forward, rather than there's no point just kind of running and like burning yourself out on the wrong track just so that you feel people think that you're doing something um so I think yeah just having having to have that level of patience and like trusting God that that season was important even this week in our team huddle when I said to the team we just went round and said can everyone say like their professional highlight we also did like personal highlights as well mm. but everyone was saying like just seeing the response to like the new type of content that we know it's content that we actually love ourselves that has just shown like how important that very difficult season was. So, so good. What would you say is an achievement that you're really proud of with Magnify or you're really grateful for? I'm just really grateful that we're still here and that we're still just as excited as we ever have been. So I always say I feel like we're at like 0.5% of the journey, even though we have been here for 13 years. Mm. And I think to, to be even more excited at this stage of the journey, at this stage of my life, and just like the resilience to keep going, because I definitely don't say it in like an arrogant way as well. I'm sure most founders who've been in anything for a significant length of time would say if people really knew a lot of stuff that you'd gone through, they like most people probably would be like, no, you know what, this just it, it's not worth it. Um, mm. So I think I just feel very proud, but also grateful that I've been able to continue, feel very proud that we've been able to build like an incredible team and company culture. And that to me is something that really means a lot to me. Like I've definitely had to learn the hard way, but I just feel so proud of like the environment that we work in and even like freelancers or people who move on, like there's two freelancers who are amazing and they were with us for like a year and a half. And still a few weeks ago, they were at my house for dinner till 4am laughing away. And so I love the fact that we've created a culture that even when people go on to do different things, it does feel, yeah, just like a real like sisterhood and community. Mm, That's so beautiful. Um, What's the what's the dream and the vision for the future when it comes to Magnify? Are we privy to any to some of it? <laughs> I think the biggest thing I would say is just to continue to like scale and build the global community mm. and have create those spaces to have very meaningful conversations about what it looks like to be a woman of faith in today's world. Because if I even look at certain things of how society has changed about like when we started 13 years ago compared to now, 
you know, we had a conversation in our team huddle and a lady on team was saying that she spoke to a friend that she used to work with and she was actually fairly close to this person when she worked, but the person was like, oh my gosh, she then said what she does at Magnify. And the lady was like, oh my gosh, I've never told anyone this, but actually I'm a Christian. But the reason I never say it out is like, I'm worried that people will judge me. And so I feel like I need that kind of community of like like-minded, ambitious women who are not just kind of, you know, hidden away being like, I, I'm meek and mild, but actually like wanting to make an impact in their spheres of influence. And when she heard about something like Magnify, she was just like, oh, this is what I've needed. Yes. Um, so I think for us, mm. increasingly like polarised and difficult world to be a woman of faith, just be able to like create that global network is really important. So even a few weeks ago when we were filming our podcast live and we had two guests, they didn't know each other, but they were on the same episode episode and even when they were talking in my head I was like they need to connect because they both have something that the other is looking for in this next season of their life mm. and at the end they were like we should definitely take details and like meet up for coffee and that happened like two or three times during the day during all the episodes we were filming and I just said to the team like that to me is like a, such a big part of what we're doing yes. it's not just like putting out the incredible content, which is great, which obviously we try to do to the best of our ability, but then creating that community where women can then actually partner and see their lives move forward and also feel like they have a safe space, safe space in a world that is becoming, I feel, increasingly intolerant of talking about faith or sharing that as part of your identity. Mm, that is so powerful and so beautiful. And I just really love that you've managed to create that space. And I do think it's true. So I'm really grateful to you for creating that community because it, it really is something that's needed. Um, we're going to wrap up the show. But before you go, Ruth, we are going to play a game called Give Me Three, which is something that oh. we do with all our Daring Forward guests. So I'm going to ask you three questions. And for each question, I want you to speak before you think and fire okay. the first three answers that come to mind. You ready? Yes. Okay. Give me three things that can happen by accident. Definitely not in my case, but I have had a child. Yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what else could happen by accident? In a way, not to make it serious, but falling into your dreams. I think that can often have, have happened by accident, Ooh. at least in my case anyway. Give me the three worst birthday gifts you have ever received. I feel like I'm really hard to buy for because I'm just really specific. Okay. Um, so all I do, of them. <laughs> I do. It was like a small thing, but I remember like the shop, body shop. I don't know if they still exist, but somebody bought me like a kind of weird mesh silver. I don't know if it was a case or something, but it was more awkward because they made me open it in front of them. And I don't have a poker face. So I was just like, oh, oh. That, that was thoughtful full of you. <laughs> you needn't have, seriously. Um, what else have I received? Another thing, actually, I'm really, you know, those box flowers that come in a box? Yeah. I'm just really, for some reason, I can just never keep them alive. So I know that people always mean it in like a very kind way, but they just never, ever survive with me. So it's not a worse birthday present. It's just, I always just feel so bad when I receive them. So I'm like, they will not make it till tomorrow evening. Oh, um, so, yeah. is that the same with plants or is it just the box flowers? Yeah, me and plants, like, same. let's just both yeah. stay in our own lanes. Yeah, which I agree. Never merging. I, I'm, a, I'm aspiring to be a plant mum, but I'm not, I'm not, not there yet. Not there yet. 
Um, okay, give me three things you could find under the sofa cushions. Remote, always hiding those oh, from yes. my daughter because she loves eating them. Um, <laughs> my mobile phone. Basically, my phone has been on Do Not Disturb for like the last 15 years. I just really don't like like the surprise of phone calls. Yeah. Um, so normally every day I'm like, babe, where's my phone? And my husband is just like, why is your phone on silent? And I'm like, it has been like for half of my life and that's how it will remain. <laughs> Um, the third thing, again, probably my slippers because my daughter loves chewing those all the time. So yeah, mainly baby related hidden items. (laughs) (laughs) That is so sweet. Okay. Ruth, where can, before you leave, can you please tell people where they can find you online, where they can connect with you and anything that you have on offer as well? Yeah, so um, our website is www.magfycollective.com and on Instagram, which we post regularly, you can find us at Magfy Collective and then my own personal Instagram is Ruth Y. Afalabi. Um, And coming up, we have, oh yeah, also on our website, you can buy our print magazine, um, but we've also got loads of exciting digital content, including live podcasts. We're bringing back events as well this year. So yeah, look out for all of that. Amazing. And we'll make sure to include everything in the show notes for you guys. Ruth, it has been an absolute joy having you on the show. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank you so much for having me. One last thing. Don't forget that you can access Ruth's exclusive six-step framework for finding your target audience to inform your digital strategy. You can click below if you're watching on YouTube or click the link in the show notes if you're listening. Thanks for tuning in today. All the resources mentioned in the show are linked below if you're watching on YouTube and linked in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then I want to invite you to help us spread our message by choosing one of four ways. One, subscribe to the YouTube channel or the podcast. Two, leave a review if you're listening to the podcast. It really helps. Three, let me know in the comments below what the key takeaways were for you in today's episode. And four, share this episode with one friend who could use a little bit of courage today. And if you want to binge our episodes, may I suggest you watch this episode right here if you're watching on YouTube. That's it. Until next time, don't forget to live courageously and dare forward. Dare forward.